This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, in the course of my work in apologetics and evangelization, I'm always running up against the problem of religion and science. In the minds of many people in our culture, religion and science are simply enemies. They're just mutually exclusive attitudes of the mind. Many skeptics hold that religion tried from the very beginning to keep science down, and they inevitably cite the case of Galileo. They'll argue that religion is, at best, a kind of primitive science, the manner in which ignorant people try to explain the mysterious phenomena around them. Well, on this reading, religion should just get out of the way of the progressive march of the sciences. Well, you know, what I want to do on this Feast of the Epiphany, this Feast of the Visit of the Magi to the Christ Child, is to address this issue since it has to do with this relationship, I think, of science and Christ, science and faith. See, we're not precisely sure what magoi means. That's the term that Matthew uses, magoi from the East came. Some say kings, some say wise men, magicians. One thing we know is that there was a very well-developed culture of astronomy and stargazing in ancient Babylon, the civilization to the east of, of the Holy Land. Most likely, these stargazing magoi were representatives of that culture. Think of them surveying the night sky, night in, night out in Babylon. They surveyed those skies, of course, in order to measure and chart the planets and the stars, but also, as the Gospel indicates, to see the signs of God. See, in their minds, what we call religion and science came together. At the climax of the story, they prostrate themselves before the child Jesus and offer their gifts to him. That is, I would submit to you, a beautiful icon of the right relationship between religion and science. Now, mind you, I'm not saying science just surrenders to religion. No, what I mean, science offers the very best it has precisely to the author of all things. The wise men prostrating themselves and giving their best gifts to the Christ child, that shows science at its best in right relationship to religion and to the author of nature. Now, I want to draw your attention to some facts that I think are so often overlooked in this religion-science debate. The modern physical sciences, physics, chemistry, astronomy, physiology, etc., developed out of a Christian thought world. And this was far from accidental. 
There are, I think, two fundamental conditions for the possibility of science's emergence. Namely, a conviction that the world isn't divine and that the world is intelligible. Those two things again. You've got to be convinced that the world isn't divine and you've got to be convinced that the world is intelligible or understandable. See, look, as long as people think the universe itself is divine, and you can find that attitude in lots of mysticisms and animisms and pantheisms, as long as you think that, you'd never experiment on the world or analyze it. You'd simply stand in wonder of it. You'd, you'd adore it. But once you know the world is not divine, well, then you're willing to subject it to critical and experimental analysis. You can be much more objective, analytical about it. Secondly, I made this point before I know with you, but no science would ever get off the ground unless scientists assume the world is intelligible, knowable, marked with form and fundamental structure. You know, Einstein himself spoke so eloquently of the complex mathematics that can be discerned in all the dimensions of the universe. The macrocosmic level, the microscopic level. Wherever scientists look, they uncover extraordinary mathematical complexity. Well, the ground for both of these convictions is the doctrine of creation. The world, creation doctrine says, the world has been brought into being by God, and hence it isn't God. And it's been intelligently thought into being. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and through that Word all things were made. That means the world has been brought intelligently into being, and therefore it has intelligibility. It has form. When both these ideas come together, the world isn't God, but the world is knowable, you have the conditions for the possibility of science. It's a doctrine of religion that stands behind both of those. That's why religion is not the enemy of science, but the condition for its possibility. Science, in a very real sense, stands on religion. I think when we see that, we begin to see the possibility of a real rapprochement between religion and science. And you see it now empirically in the deeply religious attitudes of most of the founders of modern science. By the way, part of the mythology is that modern science emerges out of this terrible struggle against religion, as though they had to free themselves of the shackles of religion. We don't the empirical evidence to the contrary. Pascal, Descartes, Newton, Tycho Brahe, Copernicus, Kepler. These are the founding figures of modern science. They were all devoutly religious men, to a person. And I don't mean that just, they weren't religious superficially, as though, well, everyone's religious. No, no, they were devoutly religious. They wrote a lot about religion and the relationship between religion and science. They saw no mutual exclusivity between how they researched and how they worshipped. See, but we take it for granted, don't we, that the founders of science were, were opposed by religion. They were, they were kept at bay by religion. In fact, just the contrary. More to it, you want to move up now through history, Gregor Mendel, the founder of modern genetics, and hence a great uh, anticipator of Darwin, was a priest. 
and the formulator of the Big Bang Theory in the 20th century. The view of cosmic origins that almost every physicist agrees to now was a priest, Father Georges Lemaitre, a Belgian priest. People are shocked by that when I remind them. The, the formulator of the Big Bang Theory was a Catholic priest. Today, point to figures such as John Polkinghorne, who's a Cambridge particle physicist and an Anglican priest, to Stanley Yockey, who's a physicist and a Catholic priest, to George Coyne, Jesuit priest and astronomer. Religion and science are enemies. No, no, point to all these figures who knew the truths I was pointing to earlier about the groundedness of science in religion. If I could now, these are complicated matters, I know, but just to give some indications, give some specific examples of this coming together. The consensus today, as I mentioned, is that Father Lemaitre had it right. The universe came into existence about 14 billion years ago through a big bang, an explosion, listen now, by which time, space, and matter were formed. Well, what caused this clearly contingent event? You say, well, the Big Bang just happened. Well, if you happen to notice, say, an explosion, I'm sure you wouldn't say, oh, that just happened. You'd look for causes, wouldn't you? Because an explosion is a contingent event. So how about this explosion that caused the whole universe? It must have had a cause, listen now, that's non-material, non-spatial, and non-temporal. Because it's the act by which space and time and matter come into being. Therefore, what caused it is not itself caught in materiality or in spatiality or in temporality. Well, this is exactly what Christian theology has been saying for 2,000 years. God, as the cause of the universe, is this great spiritual, eternal power that gives rise to matter, space, and time. Here's a second example. A lot of physicists today speculate that the universe is mostly made up of what they call dark matter. They say 95% of the universe is dark matter. Now what's dark matter? It's matter, but it can't be seen. It can't be measured in the ordinary way. They think that galaxies hold together. Think of a galaxy. I mean, this, this enormously uh, um, expansive reality. Galaxies hold together because of dark matter. And 95% of the universe is made up of it. They talk about dark energy, too. What's that? Well, some, some kind of physical force, some sort of energy that is propelling the universe outward. They think that the outward expansion of the universe is unexplainable simply from the dynamics of the Big Bang. There's something that they can't quite see or measure in the ordinary way that's propelling the universe outward. Well, friends, for two millennia, the Christian theological tradition has spoken of a dimensional system, a system of reality, that's beyond this one, that is properly invisible, but yet that impinges on this dimension, influencing it in striking ways. This is the realm of heaven. Now, don't think of heaven up there, so it's up there in the sky. No, no, that's all part of this physical realm. I mean a transcendent realm, 
a realm that we can't see, we can't measure in the ordinary way, but that impinges upon our world. St. Paul talks about heaven inhabited by spiritual bodies or resurrected bodies. What does that mean? Well, bodies, there's something physical about them, material, but they can't be seen or measured in the ordinary way, yet they have an influence on us. Once again, it seems to me that contemporary science is speaking in a language that is redolent of theological speech. Now, here's the point, friends, I'm really trying to make in this whole homily. Science should be allowed to be itself, to follow its own methods and procedures. I'm not the least bit interested in in dictating terms to physics or dictating terms to chemists or telling uh, astronomers how to do their work. That's none of my business as a, as a Catholic priest. The Pope does not dictate to scientists the methods they should follow. Of course not. But, but, we should acknowledge that the treasures of the sciences, I mean all these findings in physics, chemistry, astronomy, etc., all these findings should be brought to the God who is the source of truth and the source of order and the source of the universe itself. It's precisely this right relationship that we see in the story of the visit of the Magi as they lay their treasures at the feet of the Christ child. The Catholic Church has always maintained, at its best, that wise men of every age are drawn to Christ. Let's overcome this old mythology of the war between religion and science. Science at its best is revered by religion. And religion is the proper source and goal of all the sciences. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.